from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio and we are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I am the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. And we have the dream team, Michelle and Dion, running the show. And hey, we are taking your calls right now at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So if it's Thursday, noon Eastern time, we are live. And Michelle is manning the phones, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So, Okay, I'm going to start out with a story. A man walks into a restaurant. During the minute it takes him to reach his table, he stops to talk to 10 people. A woman walks into the same restaurant. In the same minute, she stops to talk to only two people. Who is the better networker, the man or the woman? So an executive recruiter posed this question to her audience, and of course the answers were split. Why does it matter? Well, we're going to talk all about that on today's show because here's the deal. There are gender differences in the workplace, in the job search, in negotiating and interviewing. And the more you know about that, the more you can take control of that information and use it to your benefit. So today we're very excited to be talking about that topic on Career Talk, and we have a very special guest. Laura Zaro is the Senior Director of Wharton People Analytics, and she spent her entire career implementing innovations to advance the strategic goals of educational institutions. Having built Wharton's lifelong learning program as a member of the Wharton Innovation Group, she's now working to develop Wharton's People Analytics Initiative and its groundbreaking work. Laura is also the host of the Gracie Award-winning radio show, Women at Work, right here on SiriusXM Channel 111, and that is live on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. We're so excited to have her in studio on Career Talk. Welcome, Laura. Don, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this is a this is a great topic because I've obviously researched interviewing and networking extensively, but one of the things we've not yet talked about on the show are gender differences, and as, a, as I was preparing for this, they're so many of them. So we have this story about the man walking into the restaurant and the woman walking into the restaurant. The man hits 10 people on his way to his table. The woman hits two. So, Dion, who do you think is the better networker? I'm going to say the woman. <laughs> are, are you just saying that because no, you're surrounded I, I, by three women right now? If, if you Smart. hit two... <laughs> Let's see, I've got a Smart good man. Yeah. I've got a good <laughs> I think if she hit two while he hit ten, odds are she, she got more in-depth um, conversations with those, whereas that, whereas those ten were just, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? And you, and you keep moving. Mm-hmm. Dion, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forget the pre-break quiz. Dion's on a roll now. Yeah. So, Doctor Ivan Meisner and his team wrote a book called Business Networking and Sex, and it's not about what you think. Um, it is about all of the gender differences in networking. And the bad news for men in this situation is that, not surprisingly, the woman's approach tends to be more effective. Because even though women spend less time networking, they get a greater percentage of their business through referrals. And this is interesting, Laura, because he, he, he did this kind of informal poll about how many people know your dry cleaner. And of course, the, the people who raised their hands were the women. And, you know, his point was men look at these interactions as transactional, but women are like, I'm doing business with you. And even if it's just, you know, dry cleaning my my skirts and blouses, I want to know who you are. Right. <laughs> and one of the interesting patterns in that is one that you want to be mindful of depending on what your goals are. Mm-hmm. So if a te- if your tendency is, and this is, could be true for men who are introverts as much as it is for women, um, if your tendency is to connect to want to dive deeply, to get to know people well, then you need to think about how you're using your time and what your goals are in that particular setting. Mm-hmm. And and we know from the research that networking is about relationships. Yes. And so if you're if you're creating a situation where it becomes transactional and Dion's you know high five fist, <laughs> fist bump chest bump down the, down to your seat in the restaurant probably not deepening those relationships right because that's not even transactional that's just superficial yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes um the fist bump um so 
As we're thinking about this and networking, and, and if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk, and we're here with Laura Zarwa, who is the host of Women at Work, and we're talking about gender differences in the job search, specifically in interviewing and networking, mm-hmm. negotiating, and these can have a significant impact on your career. So if you've been ignoring it up to this point or just paying attention to the salary pieces that, you know, women make 70%, 70 cents on the dollar, you're missing the bigger picture because you have an opportunity to change the way you approach the job search to make it more effective and get what you want. And that's what we're talking about on today's Career Talk. So, hey, if you're just tuning in, you can give us a call because we're live. If it's Thursday noon Eastern at 844-WHARTON, that's 844-942-7866. So let's let's talk about um, how women sabotage themselves because we were talking <laughs> about this right before and I, I, I think we do. I think we do yeah. sabotage. I mean, and as we were talking, I was thinking about all of these. I'm like, wow, I do that. I do that. Right. So one of the first places to begin is how do we feel about ourselves? Mm-hmm. Because before, we, you know, we're in a world that's complicated. We know that bias is real. We know that there are all kinds of hurdles that we're up against. But there's a lot that we can do to advance ourselves and one another, mm-hmm. which is an important aspect of this. But we got to start with our own self- sense of self and our self-confidence. Like when we've done shows on imposter syndrome, I can't uh, – I'm amazed at the feedback that we get of how many people suffer from it. Yes. And for those of you who don't know what imposter syndrome is, it is the the belief that you don't actually have the ability to do – what it is you're doing. Yes. So it's, it's a completely self-imposed psychological um, phenomenon that, Laura, I will tell you, I experience all the time. Join the club. <laughs> I do too. And so the thing is, when you don't have faith that you can do it, mm-hmm. that's a major stumbling block. And so part of it is starting with reminding yourself of your own competence. And then the other thing that kind of works hand in hand with that to get in our own way is when we're worried about being appropriate. Yes. Can I tell you that I was thinking about this being polite and how, how you know, being, growing up, I was very groomed to be polite. And I will say, I was looking back at my experiences, I think being polite has damaged my my um, credibility in more situations than it has helped it or has, or has gotten me into bad situations versus good ones. And I'm like, this is not working for me. This is not. So, but let's tease it apart a little bit because, you know, we're not going to come out of this with the headline that says being polite is bad <laughs> yeah. because I'm a firm Don't believer. Don't tweet that. Don't tweet that. Yeah, I'm a firm believer that polite is part of being decent and nice and kind. But the question is, thinking about it in a different way to Mm -hmm. understand what's the purpose of polite, how is it evidenced, and where are the boundaries? So Mm -hmm. in other words, it is not impolite to have your voice heard in a meeting. Mm -hmm. It is not impolite to ask a question. It's not impolite to insist that your idea gets credit. What can be impolite is the way that you go about it. Mm -hmm. And there's a double-edged sword here because we've got to believe in our own capacity. We've got to find our own voices. But if we present ourselves in ways that are not like ourselves, either inauthentic or adopting the behavior of a man because we think that's what we're supposed to do, it's not only going to be like walking around in shoes that don't fit. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be perceived well. Well said. And speaking of that, we have Brent in Ohio. Welcome to the show, Brent. Um, What is your question today? I think your question is actually very appropriate for what Laura just said. Well, I tell you what, um, my daughter, a graduate from Ohio State, and she applied for an assistantship up at Bowling Green University, and they told her that... uh, a lady called her off to the side when she wasn't getting called back, and she said, uh, your shoes are inappropriate. And, and I you, asked her, I said, what was she wearing? She said she's wearing open heel, high heel shoes. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> This is this is, I'm Brent. I'm so glad you brought this up because this this we could do a whole show on this. Um, and you know when you think about Laura networking yep. and interviewing, um, you know, one of the things in the book that that I was referring to earlier, the um, Ivan Meisner book, was that and he says this, and I think this is interesting because it's controversial that women need to dress for business when they're networking. And yes. his opinion is that that not all. But many don't because they dress too provocatively or, you know, <laughs> so and- I've got 42 cents on this, at okay. least a lot okay. more than two cents. OK, perfect. And so and it's funny because I've actually spent some airtime talking about shoes. I don't think they're unimportant. <laughs> um, there are messages that we send with how we dress. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that we want to do is override sexuality. 
Mm-hmm. We don't want right. to be sexual objects in the workplace. We also want to show that we are um, professional, practical, making good and smart decisions. So if you decode the sexy high-heeled shoe, that's not terribly practical as a symbol. Mm-hmm. It's very sexy as a symbol. So it's already reminding people to think of you that way. The other thing is in very practical terms, I remember wearing very high heels because my pants were too long to a job interview. Okay. Okay. Now, fortunately, the pants <laughs> covered the heel. So I was hoping I removed the sex object. All problem. right. All right. Good strategy. And I was interviewing with a very tall man. So the good news was when I walked into the room and I shook hands with him, I could see eye to eye. That's important. Yes. And when I stood up to meet other men walking into, and I was interviewing in a room that was predominantly male, I felt like I had a stature that gave me executive presence. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, he was like, okay, great. We're going to go to lunch. Can you keep up with me? Because he saw I was in high-heeled shoes. And now I had to take the quick stride of a six-foot-four man <laughs> wearing high heels. So Laura has <laughs> learned to run in, in three-inch heels. Yes. <laughs> without, without bending forward and knocking away. So, you know, it, I have to say I will never again wear those pants to an interview with boots. But it it, remind, it pointed out th- several things for me. You do want to have executive presence. And height can help. And there are a lot of women, particularly women who feel that going into interviews, heels help them see a man eye to eye and not be perceived Mm as small. Yeah, it's funny you say that. And Brent, I had the opposite situation. Somebody came into me and then told me that somebody had once told her that she should wear high heels because she was petite and that it would give her, Laura, that executive presence. So so kind of where's where's the middle ground? What's the right answer? I think the right answer is that think about like, what would your mother say about these shoes? Or if your mom's a real hipster, what might your grandmother mm-hmm. say? Like, there needs to be a certain conservatism to your shoes. They can be cool. They can be funky if the setting is right. Mm-hmm. Part of it is reading the clues around you of where you're going. But when shoes are really, really high-heeled, glossy, glamorous, you're sending other messages. Some women find that to be their own source of power. Mm-hmm. I don't want to disrespect their experience, but it's not advice that I would give to anybody. Yeah, this is one This is one point where I'm glad I'm not a fashionista <laughs> Because I don't have to worry about that. So, so Brent, have you seen the shoes? I have not seen the shoes, but I can tell you this much: my daughter's five foot two. Okay. And, uh, she she ran for Miss Ohio uh, her sophomore year at Ohio State, and she was on homecoming court her senior year. So she's a pretty girl. She graduated mm-hmm. cum laude in her class. So she's smart, and so there's no reason she wouldn't get what she was going for, in our opinion. But when they called her off to the side and said it was because of her shoes. Um, we just felt like it had something to do with, you know, like you said, the unprofessional, uh, in their opinion, mm-hmm. which struck them because, but I haven't seen the shoes, but I'm sure it was some shoes that she had been used, uh, you know, in, in modeling or whatever, because they were open toed, um, the high heels, three, I think the three or four inch heels was because she's five two. Yep. So yeah, to Laura's point, she was, um, she was kind of doing that presence, um, Here's the thing, I think, Brent, that I'm going to take away from your story is that is that she was given this feedback, and that's a gift. Yes. Because a lot of people would never tell somebody that, and so this is her opportunity for the next interview to perhaps wear something. Um, maybe they could be high, but more conservative. Like I said, we haven't seen the shoes, but I think this is a good piece of information for your daughter to take to the next interview. So thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. I've, I've learned so much about <laughs> shoes. Brent, we really appreciate it. And best of luck to your daughter in, in the search. Hey, if you're interested in gender differences or have an opinion, tip, or situation you'd love to share, we are taking your calls live if it's noon Eastern time on Career Talk at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. And we're going to go to Neil in Arizona. Neil, welcome to the show. What's on your mind today, Neil? Great. Thanks for taking my call. Love yeah. Show. And I'm just going to try to defend the guy. Yeah. The question that you had early on. Dion's cheering right guy, now. <laughs> the guy is um, just as good a networker as the woman. One, because he knew 10 people. Now, <laughs> the variable is that he knew 10 and that he took the time to acknowledge all 10 while he was in the <laughs> restaurant, even though their time was shorter, because if he knew 10 people and only could stop at five now he's missing a chance to further a relationship even though it's for a shorter period of time with the other five i love it so the easy answer is for the, two, <laughs> you know, the woman with the two because it's more in depth and all oh, the relationships and all that's so great 
but the guy knew 10 to start and took that time to try to at least acknowledge the 10 people that he knew in the room. What's your thought on that? Yeah, well, there's something interesting in that. Um, Sally Krawcheck, who wrote a great book called Own It that I highly recommend, and she's a fantastic chapter on networking. One of the things that she points out is that um, our career opportunities often come from shallow and not deep relationships. And so if what you're using, looking to your network for are connections to two new opportunities, you're right. Making sure you're keeping those threads alive are really important. Um, however, if what you're using your network for is support to learn, encouragement, or you're trying to mentor somebody else because, you know, network's a two-way street, mm-hmm. um, then the deeper connection helps. But in this case, we got a minute in a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. That's high stakes, one minute. <laughs> but and, and interestingly, Neil, we don't know – it, the story wasn't clear. We don't know that the the man actually knew those individuals. Mm-hmm. That was that part was not clear. But if if he did, I completely agree with you because one of the tips I give to people who tell me I don't have time to network, I don't have time to network, is look for those opportunities like a retirement party or a um, you know a wedding or a big social event where a number of your contacts will be showing up because this is a great opportunity to go and do. Exactly what this this gentleman did. You spend two minutes chatting with people you already know, deepens the relationship, catch up with people you haven't seen. And you could do this in 45 minutes. You can hit 10 people or more. So go to those events. Figure out where your network's congregating. Maybe it's a reunion. And get there. Spend those 45 minutes because it's going to be a good use of your time. So, Neil. Excellent advice. Yeah, Neil, thank (laughs) you for calling in. We love it when people call in with their opinions and tips. That is what Career Talk is all about. You can give us a call at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern time, we are live. And we are here with Laura Zaro, who is the host of Women at Work, which is live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And we are talking all about gender differences in the job search and how you can use this information to get ahead. So we were talking about how to dress in the mm-hmm. in the you know for networking, and I think and for the interview as we as as Brent called in about his daughter. Are there any other tips, um, Laura, as you go into the interview or networking situation from an appearance standpoint that people should be paying attention yeah, to, both I, men and women? Yeah. So I think my friend Judy's mother's advice, um, which I, I remember her giving it to Judy, and it stuck with me ever since. It's always better to be a little overdressed than underdressed. Mm-hmm. Um, that if you have any doubts at all, go more business professional. Business casual is a slippery slope and can easily be misinterpreted. And when you're coming for an interview, you're not going to be wrong in more formal business attire. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you happen to be in an industry or an arena where um, aesthetics matter, you're in the arts, you're in media and communication, you're in entertainment, um, it's easy enough to find pictures online of the work setting, of the people you work with, of them presenting publicly, and it can give you a barometer. But you want your hair polished and professional. Women, this may sound crazy, but you do want to wear some makeup. It's been proven to to read as more polished, but you're not going back to our color. This is not the beauty pageant. And you want to show, um, you want to be elegant. And you want to be your best self without having anything on your body get more attention than the words coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. What about men? Are there anything men should be, you know, thinking about beyond that? That's a really good question because I don't pay as much attention to helping them, even <laughs> though I should. But I think it's the same rule for men. And having been on the side of being the one doing the I think, interviewing. I think sometimes they need, they need that help, though. Yeah, more. and I think especially younger men and as you're... <laughs> Dion, Dion, meanwhile. <laughs> or quote, Dion, wear pants. Dion, and, and Dion does not wear three-inch heels. No. But I think, you know. I think what you want to do is arrive ready to listen to be pay attention to and to engage in a meaningful way. And whether you're a man or a woman, it's the same goal. And so part of it is for men, you're not coming to just wow the second you walk in the room. Hear what's going on. Listen to who's there. And if there are women interviewing you, make room for that. Mm-hmm. Bring your appropriate respect. So so I was reading about some research on this. And this, this was kind of interesting to me that a recent study published by the National Academy of Science found that managers of both sexes, so women and men, are twice as likely to hire a man than a woman, even controlling for skills 
you know, mm-hmm. in the workplace. And then even worse, when managers hired a job applicant who performed worse on a test than fellow candidates, two thirds of the time, the lesser candidate was a man. Whoa. Like, so, so, I mean, <laughs> right, I feel there's like, a bias about yeah. competence. And that's part of why it's so important when a woman's coming into an interview to emit that executive presence and to present yourself as professionally as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other really important things is what comes out of your mouth. So women have a tendency to tell stories rather than give information. And often, especially young women, will struggle with upspeak. Yes. Or that kind of, you know, gravelly talk and yeah, you know. And you, you want to go in warmed up, ready to have a conversation and get to the point. Upspeak. I want to talk about that because I think that pretty much defines like my, my first 40 years on earth until somebody <laughs> told me like to stop doing that. And I think they told me on my my uh, voicemail, which I know no one uses voicemail anymore, but at the end of my voicemail, you can reach me at and I, everything was uh, uh. And I was like, wow, I never noticed that before. But wow, that does undermine you. Right, because it it conveys a perkiness, a youthfulness, and a lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. And you want to go in and present yourself with clarity and with authority behind your ideas. It goes back to that confidence question. How can you speak with belief in yourself and the validity of what you're saying? And this is a very concrete topic that I think all listeners, men, women, can can really change right now. So so the upspeak is one. So the upspeak, if if you're – if you're not sure what that is, it's when you end a sentence on an up note <laughs> like that. Uh, I try not to do I it. Know. No, but <laughs> I know. Um, the other thing is when you say, as you were talking about, Laura, it's kind of, it's sort of, or using the word just. I hear a lot mm-hmm. of women especially say, well, I'm just a mother, or I'm just an admin, or I'm just, you're not just. No, you are. Those things are all things to be proud of. <laughs> and the use of the word just is something that we often use, particularly in written language, mm-hmm. to soften something. And so, you know, sometimes in email communication, it actually can be helpful. Okay. Because if you're trying to communicate something delicate where you don't have the benefit of tone of voice or eye contact, then you can use it strategically. In dialogue, though, in conversation, and particularly when you're talking about yourself, you don't want to diminish yourself. Mm-hmm. And you have to find ways to kind of discipline your language to pull it out of there. Another one is is making your sentence and sound like a question. And I think, again, this goes back to the politeness and, and trying to maybe insert your idea without being too boorish. Mm-hmm. And, and so you end your sentences like a question. Right. And, <laughs> and there's there's two different aspects to that. So one is you don't want to do the up talk thing at the end because it conveys a lack of conviction mm-hmm. in yourself. On the other hand, when you walk in an environment where men are talking over women, where those biases are – and they're unconscious. They're not people purposely, hopefully mostly, not trying to be mean or exclude you. Um, you need to take those moments and listen carefully about how to enter the conversation with strength but grace. And – Entering into dialogue, making room for other people to join you in dialogue is a way of doing that. But you don't want to be overrode by louder voices in the room. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the best advice I heard on that is that you can be tough and kind. Of course. And so it's finding that balance. Um, hey, you're just tuning in. You're listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We are here with Laura Zaro, who is the host of Women at Work. And we are talking all about gender differences in networking, interviewing, negotiating, the job search. So if you have an opinion, idea, or thought, we would love to hear from you at 844-WARDEN. That's 844-942-7866. And as we move into our second hour, Laura, I want to talk about some some very specific things that people can do in networking and mm-hmm. interviews, and especially negotiating, because what we know about negotiating is that women tend not to do it. <laughs> yes. And when women do it, they're often punished for it. Mm-hmm. So giving our listeners very specific tips on how they can approach that and get the money they deserve. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the, way, the key thing about starting there mm-hmm. is you have to presume it's allowed. Mm-hmm. There are some settings where it's clear that um, a salary offer is open to negotiation. And when that's made evident, women will often dive in and feel there's an invitation. It's yes. But when that isn't made transparent, men will almost always presume they can negotiate. Mm-hmm. And women all too often presume they can't. 
Yes. And I, right now we can we can change this perception. Here's what I will tell you. As a former recruiter, I, I will tell you this. When somebody didn't negotiate, man, woman, you know, didn't matter. My first thought was I made a hiring mistake. Yes. my fir- and, and I tell you this because I think it's important that you know that they're not going to take the job away if you graciously ask if there's flexibility they're not you know if you they're not going to do that the first thought is i made a hiring mistake either i offered this person too much money or maybe this person isn't as qualified now right that's probably not true but i'm just telling you as a recruiter what or hiring manager what my first thought was i've I've had the same thought on both sides of the equation Mm -hmm. it's the last stage of your audition for that job Mm -hmm. and you're making evident the skills that you're going to bring into the role so like you said one it raises the question of were you offered too much money the Mm -hmm. deal's so good you don't need to negotiate yes but i think actually more importantly is that if you're ever going to be in a position of hiring other employees, you need to be able to engage in negotiation and make that evident Mm -hmm. and be able to advocate for the organization, which comes to the real trick for women in negotiation, Mm -hmm. which is women do incredibly well in negotiation when they're advocating for other people. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes, maybe that's just it. We have to to, uh, negotiate for other women. We'll we'll just (laughs) hire other women to do our negotiating for us. Although Um, there are ways we can do it for ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably even a better idea, Laura. So, hey, um, you're just tuning in. You're listening to Career Talk. We're on Sirius XM Channel 111. We are talking all about gender differences and interviewing, negotiating, networking, and the place of work. So if you've got an idea, opinion, or thought about this, we'd love to hear you at 844-Wharton, 844-942-7866. But right now, we are going to go to our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz? All right. So women use about 3.5 times as many of this as men do each day. Women use about 3.5 times as many of this in a day as men do. Think you know? 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand. Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio, and we are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. If you're just tuning into Career Talk, we are having a lively discussion about gender differences in the workplace, specifically around interviewing, networking, negotiating, and all of those things that will ultimately make you happier in your career. And we're doing that with Laura Zaro, who is the host of the Gracie award-winning radio show Women at Work right here on Sirius XM Channel 111, which is live on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Hey, if you've got a question and you're not able to call in, you can tweet it at Dr. Don Graham, or you can follow my blog, dawnoncareers.com, and get career advice right in your inbox. So we're talking about gender differences. And um, right before the break, Laura, we were talking about those phrases that tend to diminish, mm-hmm. um, you know, women in particular, but I think men use some of these phrases <laughs> as well. And one of them is thanks. I, I actually had an employee who I had to, you know, I, you, you can put a signature on your email that, that, that you know, <laughs> comes up every time and hers was thanks. And and her name. And so it didn't matter what she replied to. So, I mean, I could email her and say, I need you to stay late tonight and redo your PowerPoint. And her email back to me would be like, okay. And it'd be like, thanks. Right. <laughs> like, really? I don't, I don't, you've got to take that off. Right. You've got to take that off. The default position of I'm grateful and I'm apologetic mm-hmm. doesn't always help you. Even though gratitude is always a good core value mm-hmm. that you want to express, it's the difference of what are you, be purposeful with those things. Mm-hmm. Is it that you're trying, like, uh, sometimes I fuss over it. Are you saying best? With warm regards? With much gratitude? How do you, cheers? How are you signing off? What's the real purpose of the email? And ha- what do you want the closing tone to be? Mm-hmm. There's an art to email writing. And so if you think about it that way, you might become more conscious in those moments and not just have the default of, I'm thanking you for paying attention to me. Yes. Yes. 
Because uh, hopefully you're offering value. Exactly. I mean, and, and so thanks. And we talked about I'm sorry. We, women tend to, I'm sorry. We're sorry about everything. And, and somebody bumps into you and you say you're sorry. Yes. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but too many do, presuming it's our fault and we're going to get in trouble if we don't make ourselves apologetic and small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the other things I heard recently that I've been trying to do, I thought this was great advice, that, you know, instead of saying sorry, like, sorry, I was a few minutes late or sorry that, you know, reframe that and say, thank you for being patient. Yes. And, and you know, to just because men don't say that. They don't say, sorry, I'm late. They're, you know, it, and women say again, sorry for everything. So thank you for being patient or, you know, thank you for waiting. Right. Because you know, the other the companion part of that is it's very hard for people to authentically apologize. And Mm -hmm. it's an important thing to be able to do. So when you say you're sorry, it should be because you mean it and it matters. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I'm not sorry that you bumped into me. (laughs) So, hey, (laughs) you're just tuning in. You're listening to Career Talk Series XM Channel 111-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. We're talking all about gender in the workplace and we are going to answer our pre-break quiz. So before we went to the break, we talked about women use about 3.5 times as many as this in a day as men do. And I have to, <laughs> to go to Dion. I'm so disappointed in our career talk crew. By the way. <laughs> do I have to say the answer that everybody said? Yeah. I we mean, all had the yeah. same answer. It's true. It's true. <laughs> toilet paper yeah and and i can't disagree with that i'm gonna say that is also true no i'm gonna give myself a ding for that then yeah i I would say that's true i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna do some research for next week and and see but we're gonna go to steve in dc steve welcome to career talk what's your quiz answer my quiz answer was words words oh that's that's brilliant that's true and it's right (laughs) Well, my, my wife's a psychologist, so and she tells me that. <laughs> she tells you that she uses 3.5 uh, times more words than you? No, just women in general. Oh. <laughs> She's like, I would like you to speak 3.5 times more each day. Can you do that for me, Steve? <laughs> I'll try. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk. Hey, we're here to your calls all hour, 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. And so just, you know, just to even out the playing field, I, I did some some men and women research. So men are better at judging's, judging a person's size based on their voice. Now, really? Yeah. Now, I, I don't really know where this comes in handy, um, but if I ever have to judge, maybe we judge the size of the people on who call in. Dion, can you, do you have a sense of, of that? I never Just, thought about it, but I probably could. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, if we need that information, we're going to Dion. I got you. All right. Women detect colors better than men do. I think that one's pretty well known. Um, this is interesting. Men handle a lack of sleep better than women do. Now, I would think that, I mean, it may be true, but I would think women would need to handle lack of sleep better than because of child, you know, I mean. Right. I'd also like to weigh in that I don't think anybody does well without sleep. No, agreed. Although there are unique challenges that women face in getting enough sleep. It's true. And I, I feel like, so with this information that men handle lack of sleep better, for for all the ladies out there who are getting up in the middle of the night to tend the children, I think you now have a valid excuse. Like, you know what? You can handle this better than me. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's one we want to we want to give to the men. So, and kind of all kind of bonuses in their yeah. relationships. So. <laughs> You got that here on Career Talk. 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. We're talking all about how to um, use your gender differences to get ahead in interviews, negotiating. So let's talk about let's talk about negotiating, yes. Laura, because this is this is something that we all want more money. We want to make as much money as we can make. <laughs> and what we know is that the failure to negotiate is higher for women. Yes, and also the failure in negotiating is higher for women. Yeah, and and research shows that men and women are are both equally skilled at negotiating so so there are these 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 minute reasons why women tend to do worse and we we started talking about them before the break but i mean one is the ambiguity yeah you brought up so one is so let's start with the the context do women feel comfortable 
asking for more, and mm-hmm. most women don't. And so the first thing you got to do is remember, it's your job to negotiate here. Mm-hmm. Second is that women don't know what to aim for, and that men, um, there are several advantages that men will have in this. Men are usually much more comfortable asking one another what their salaries are. Mm-hmm. It's why there's so much hullabaloo right now around the question of whether organizations should be, um, A, require whether um, organizations are barred from asking yeah. about previous salary and, and whether organizations commit to revealing salary. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things you need to know going into a negotiation is what do other people make in this role? What do you, If you're asking for a raise, what do your colleagues make? Because otherwise you're shooting in the dark. So getting the information is key. So step one, reduce the ambiguity, get the information, go on to salary.com, Glassdoor. I mean, ask your network, ask, you know, people yes. who you know in the field, say, what what can I be expecting for this? Absolutely. Uh, if you're working with a headhunter, I mean, ask the headhunter. They've got great information about salary. Absolutely. And then the thing is, how do you go about it? And this is where how you present yourself, how you make the case has critical importance. Mm-hmm. So where women, um, women get penalized by men and women alike for being assertive. Oh, man. I know. (laughs) You can't win for losing. And women get... um, Women actually think of it as like the ferocious mama bear, Mm -hmm. that when women advocate for others, they can be more effective than men and women with men and women. So if you think about a mother advocating for her kids, a woman attorney advocating for her client, Mm -hmm. there can be tremendous power in that. Mm -hmm. The question is, how do you do that with yourself? And so... In the dialogue with whoever you're negotiating with, mm-hmm. you don't want to go in and say, I want this. You want to make it clear that this is a unique time where um, I really wouldn't be doing myself or the organization a service if I wasn't upfront about what I think I need in order to be successful mm-hmm. and in order to have a long career here. So part of it is about putting it in the context of being successful within the organization. So it's not all about you. It's about you in this new relationship. Mm-hmm. And also, of there's something we've learned about bias, which is that if you gently remind people, we know that there can be this elephant in the room. So let's just say that it's there and put it aside. Then we can get to the heart of the matter. So you can say, you know, it's a very awkward thing for me to have to advocate yes. for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I would be foolish if I didn't use do this at this moment. So with all due respect, I'd like to ask for X, Y, and Z. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you on that, Laura, because a man would never say it that way. No, but a man <laughs> will not be perceived as the same way as a woman. So yeah, a man would say... I, I would like ten thousand dollars more. Right, but <laughs> since right, like, tactical, not done, not fair, but real. And so, until we are in, and unless we're in environments where we're invited to negotiate, where the person on the other side of the table is clearly embracing that as a fun kind of tennis mm-hmm. match, um, if we want to get past what we know. It's proven there is this unconscious biases. Mm-hmm. Go in prepared to move it out of the way without. <laughs> ignoring the opportunity. So you've got to create the opportunity for yourself in a way that's palatable. And then once you're negotiating, be real. Mm-hmm. And ask not just for money. That's a really important thing. You can negotiate for and shouldn't. And I'm sure you've talked about this. Yes. There are all kinds of things that you can negotiate Sign for. Sign on bonus, start date, vacation time. Yeah. Right. Tons of things. Your technology of choice. Flex time. All different kinds of things. Do you need money to commute? Do you need nanny money? It really depends on how you're being recruited. And I would say making it clear that you want to talk about the package and how it's going to enable you to do a great job is going to help make a context where these biases can go out the window. Mm-hmm. So connecting it to the job. And I think I think bottom line is if you're thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this, just throw that out the window. Yeah. If you're toggling, just say, you know what, I'm going to do this because here's the deal. Um, the research is out there. Fewer than 5% of companies have actually reneged on an offer for negotiating. And in those cases, it was presented as a an ultimatum. So if I don't get this, this isn't going to work for me. So in those cases, it made sense. But if you simply go in and you say, what's the flexibility? Even if, and this is kind of that ambiguity, Laura, that comes in because they say, this this is our best offer. We really want you as a candidate. So this is as much as we can we can offer. 
that is a situation where a woman would walk away from the negotiating yes. and a man, a man wouldn't. But I would say even if they come in with that and you love the job and it's, it's even if it's a great number, I think you need to say, great, give me, I need two days. I'm going to think about this, review it, see what questions I have. And then you need to come back and you can say, is there any flexibility? And that flexibility, Laura, like you said, could be in vacation time. Yes. It could be in a sign-on bonus. It could be in relocation dollars. It can be in a lot of different things. So just because they say this is our best offer and they say there's no flexibility in the base salary of course you want that to be your starting point but if there's not there's still flexibility somewhere else so make it your default to negotiate the other thing i found so interesting and i i totally butchered this stat a few weeks ago (laughs) on my show so i'm gonna try not to butcher it again um Although I don't know why it just like kind of eludes me. But basically, a man will apply to a job if he has 60% yes. of the qualifications where a woman needs to have 100%. Again, this is one of those ones I'm going to say, wipe it off the table. No one has 100% of the qualifications no. ever, <laughs> ever. And so if you're toggling, again, just go for it. What yes. do you have to lose? Go for it. So, and there are key places where this matters because this isn't just in applying for the big job. This is about stepping up in meetings. Think about how much of our lives, our work lives, are spent in meetings and group settings. Mm-hmm. And when you are in those moments and you step up for the stretch assignment, make it visible that you want it. Ask for it. Don't expect to be handed it. That's the first big thing. Grab for the Mm -hmm. brass ring, even if the brass ring is teeny tiny, because it, A, will give you an opportunity to grow. The growth is going to lead you to more responsibility. If the opportunity has line item responsibility, especially for women, that is key. Don't volunteer to cater the office Christmas party. (laughs) Volunteer to take on responsibilities where money and leadership and responsibility is involved. That is a great point. That is a great point. Because you're like, well, yeah, that should be a woman. Why? Right. And it'll also be punted to you, or you may think it's a nice way that you can help, or it's something that you like to do. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about meetings. I think you you make a really great point. Most of our, our, our lives are spent in meetings, client meetings, staff mm-hmm. meetings, these meetings. Um, that's a whole other show, too. But... You know, the research is out there that, you know, men tend to interrupt more. They tend yes. to take up more floor time in the meetings, whereas women go in, they try and, and make it, you know, give a quality of voice time. And, and, you know, in this or when they present their ideas, there's a big difference in that, whereas a, a man will mm-hmm. generally present his idea. Um, a woman will say, I'm not sure this is a good idea or maybe this is silly, but and qualify it. We yes. need to stop that. Right. So aside from the way that we – in how we present, we can hurt ourselves. There's also very real factors in that room that we have to work around. Mm-hmm. And there are several things that we can do. So first of all, I highly recommend that everybody read Jessica Bennett's Feminist Fights Club. It's hysterical. It's brilliant. And it gives you fight moves. Fight the, moves. For the meeting. But um, even if we're not going to view it as adversarial, you want to get to the meeting room early. Mm-hmm. You want to look at the table structure. And pick a seat when you can that's going to put you in the middle of the conversation. All right. If there's a meeting that's packed and there's the table and there's seats around it, do not be demure. Put yourself at the table. You're in the room where it happens. Engage. The other thing is that if you are not – let's say you put out an idea. Mm-hmm. And it, the the murmur goes over it, and five minutes later, a man presents the same idea. It really is oh. okay oh, I hate that. <laughs> to say, I'm so glad you see the point I made earlier. That's why I think this is a valuable thing to do. Oh, my God. I'm going to be saying that all the time now. <laughs> yeah. It's like acknowledge it, and your colleagues will too. But you need to be in that room engaged and ready to participate. And, you know, you make me think of another point. I worked with a, um, a male colleague several years ago, and he and I did the same job. And um, every time he had a client win or something come up, he would email it to the group and he'd say, you know, hey, just wanted to share this good news. Da, 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 da. And I, I would say, gosh, I would never do that because I'm like, this is my job. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. But I realized, I'm like, well, it looks like I'm not doing anything because, I I mean, it's just not something I would do. Right. So women usually don't brag on their own behalf. Mm -hmm. There are several things that if we can look a little past ourselves and into the culture around us, because especially once we're in middle management and leadership roles, these are things that we can trigger, is how do you brag on behalf of a team? 
How do you brag on behalf of one another? A lot of women have reported that they make a pact with each other to celebrate and shine a light on each other's successes mm-hmm. so that they become visible. Yeah, smart. So finding your partners within the organization matters. And then the other thing is when you can create a culture where people brag on behalf of other people, including the men, mm-hmm. and that it's part of how you're seen as being generous in your community and supportive of an overall sa- success and not competitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we need to do that. I think we need to, man, men, women, we need to put out there because it's a fast-paced world. Our bosses often don't even sit in our office and... Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's it's interesting, too. I found this stat that um, three out of four telecommuters are men, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know why I thought that was interesting, but I was like, huh. I, I'm going to posit that it's because um, men don't feel like anything's at risk when they ask to do it. Okay. And that women are probably not asking for the opportunity to telecommute. Um, one of the things that I've found that's been personally transformative in my life, and, mm-hmm. I, and this has now been true since I've had a laptop, is worked with the people that I, that I work for to say, I want to make sure I have technology that allows me to work anywhere. The upside of it for my employer is that if they need me on a weekend, they need me on an evening, they need me in another country, I'm available. The upside of it for me is if my daughter is sick or I can't get in because the trains are late, I can be productive wherever I am, including Mm -hmm. at home. And so that if then there's a culture of flexibility, like get the job done, I don't care where you are, you've enabled it by the core tools, which is an excellent thing to make sure you negotiate for. When you get the job. Now, that can be tough because... I mean, to say I would like flex time or I'd like a day off. But you're right. That is something that you are going to want to get in writing at the negotiation point. Right. And if you're already working and maybe you think, well, shoot, I should have negotiated this. Here's a great way to try this um, with your, your boss who may not be very open to you working from home. I think anytime you use the word experiment, people are much more likely to say <laughs> yes. So you say, can we try an experiment where I, I take Thursdays and I work from home? We'll try it for three months. If you know if it doesn't work or if the clients complain or whatever the situation is, then um, we'll go back to it. Yep. Because I think people are open to it when they have the chance to change their mind. <laughs> Absolutely. And it also invites a dialogue about how it's going so it can be beneficial for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yep. And maybe you won't like it. Maybe you decide, well, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> this is chaos. I can't work from home. I I love being in the office. And you'll say, you know what? Hey, it doesn't work for me. So let's just go right. back. To but a critical work. part of that is making sure you've done whatever you can to make sure that you've set up home so mm-hmm. that you're productive. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're just tuning in. You're listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with the Dream Team, Michelle and Dion. They're taking your calls at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. We are talking all about gender differences and negotiating, interviewing, the workplace, meetings. So if you have an opinion, Dion's our only our only male opinion here. He's He'd, he'd love your support. 844-942-7866. We're here with Laura Zaro, who is the host of Women at Work. So um, let's talk about, uh, we've been kind of talking about some things women can do, and I think some of these relate to men, but let's talk about some things men can mm-hmm. do to uh, network better or communicate better with women. So one of the things I thought was really interesting as I was kind of doing research for this show, is that nonverbal behavior, women will nod their head to show that they're listening. So we we nod to show we're being supportive of the conversation. Um, but when we do that, men leave the conversation thinking the head nod means that we agreed with them. And then they're surprised to find out later that the woman was not agreeing at all. Um, now, when women speak to men, they don't tend to do that. They don't tend to have that nod. So we're thinking, are they paying attention? Are they zoning out? Are they thinking of Game of Thrones? What are they doing? So we tend to repeat ourselves. And, and then they're, they're like, you know, what, you're talking too much. Those are those 3.5 times more words that are coming out. Um, so that was so interesting to me because as a psychologist, I tend to be a nodder. And and I, it never occurred to me that... As I'm sitting here nodding yes, and going, mm-hmm, yes. Yeah, that that Dion was walking away thinking I was agreeing with him when I wasn't. No, <laughs> just kidding, Dion. I always agree with you. So I think the thing that we are asking of the men around us is to make room for us and to um, th- be conscious of ways to bring women into the conversation and support the women in their world. Um, we know that you know fundamentally, most men are really good people. Mm-hmm. And they're not aware of the behaviors that are getting in the way. 
And so one of them is for men to try and raise their own consciousness about making room for women to speak, giving room cre- women credit for their ideas, and recognizing that work does not need to be a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. You can succeed and women can, can succeed and they're not going to take your place. We're all going to succeed together. You need that talent in the room in order to advance together. Um, and the other thing is that for men to be mindful of where they have the room to safely do things like brag and boast mm-hmm. and ask for opportunity that the women on their teams can't. And if they can take a more collective point of view and pave the way for the women in their work world, those women are going to thrive. It's going to strengthen their relationship with the women, and it's going to build their teams. Absolutely. Well said. And and we know a couple of things that are, are very concrete. We know men are more tactical. Women are more relational. So, I mean, avoiding the hard sell, avoiding the coming in and being like, boom, 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 and maybe maybe doing a lap. How was your day? <laughs> well, and actually, it's something for everybody, male or female, is recognizing that when we get a chance to connect with each other, to find each other's groove, mm-hmm. to connect as people, it's a little warm up. It's like before you're going to go run your 10 mile race, you know, warm up for a quarter mile and do a few stretches before you're going to get into heavy duty work together take a few minutes just to say hello and get onto the same into the same zone and it's also going to help the women enter the conversation as well as the men mm-hmm. it's interesting that they did a study about networking events and that women tend to like to go when there's a speaker because they like <laughs> the opportunity to learn about themselves and you know and grow and and men tended to dislike the speaker and see that just as kind of an avenue for small talk because they wanted to get to the next Networking. <laughs> right, which also raises for me the thing about being conscious of where you're networking and why. Mm-hmm. Are you networking to learn something? In that case, going where there's a lecture or a talk or a workshop is a great way to do that and to meet people who are trying to learn the same thing. Are you trying to advance in your industry? Then you're going to go to a different type of event. And are you looking to just um, meet new people? Then you got to think about. Um, how are you going to make an opening? How are you going to find somebody that you can connect with? Are you looking to have long conversations or short conversations? Um, or are you looking for a support group? You know, women's networking events can be really powerful things for women. I know a lot of women, though, myself included, um, time's really tight. I'm trying to juggle a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have to be really disciplined about where I choose to spend my networking time. And I don't find women's groups as nourishing as other women do. Mm-hmm. But for some women, getting that support, getting that feedback, feeling like there's a team behind you can change their careers. And there are a lot of wonderful women's networks out there, whether they're Lean In Circles or Elevate or um, the Levo Group. There are wonderful groups that you can join that will also nourish you in your understanding of how to maximize yourself. Mm-hmm. Well said. And the hour went by so fast, Laura. <laughs> I could talk to you about this all day long, all day long. Um, hey, uh, tune in to Laura's show, Women at Work, live, 4 p.m. on Wednesdays, Eastern Time. And we are so thankful that you're on the show today. Oh, I'm flattered. I, Thank I, I you. I learned so much. I learned so much. And I think the biggest thing is to just go for it. If we're yeah, toggling, absolutely. should we apply? Should we ask for the raise? Should we do Just go do it. for it. Go for it. It's 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 going to work out in your favor. So, hey, Deanna, Michelle, you make this hour so much fun. Thank you so much. And, of course, to all of our listeners and callers, we do this show for you every week. So if you missed it, you can catch the replay on Every Day Except Friday, or you can follow it on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. Thank you so much for everybody making this show awesome. We look forward to seeing you next time. You've been listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 111. 